Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161 959 0166. Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast, uh, the last one before the winter break. Uh, City, of course, getting a 1 1 draw down at Southampton in the last game played, which was, as far as we're concerned, as we record this yesterday, um, I was down in a private box. I got an interview from uh, a guy called Bill Cronshaw, who is a playwright and a writer and a City fan, who uh, I've seen a couple of his uh, plays and productions, and I suddenly got a phone call out of the blue on Friday saying, fancy coming in my private box, hosted by my son, who uh, is one of the people who organises the stuff for the beer company that look after Southampton. And of course, I said yes. So I did my uh, my match day vlog from inside the private box down at Southampton to give a uh, very different perspective. I'm sure we'll talk about the game and lots of other things uh, during the next uh, hour or so. Uh, let me introduce you to the cast list tonight. We have returning legend, Mr. Gary Owen, who is always welcome and always uh, great to listen to. So lovely to see you, Gary. And you uh, too. We've got uh, Andy, who is uh, another one of our regulars, and Will, who is uh, the man behind the scenes who often puts things together and this time We've let him loose in front of the microphone and in front of the camera. So uh, all of you are very, very welcome. Uh, the, oh, I should say, by the way, a big thanks to um, charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, based in the Berry area, who are the supporters of this podcast. And without them, perhaps wouldn't be a podcast. So big shout out to them. Uh, their phone number was at the beginning of the podcast. You heard it. And you can look them up on the website, charleslouis.co.uk, and you can see what they do, which involves getting mortgages, giving advice on how to get one, and also buying and selling commercial and private uh, properties. So check them out. Uh, They're they're well worth uh, doing. I know Andy, for example, has has had some contact with them and uh, been very satisfied with with the way that they've looked after him. So uh, I think that's two recommendations from two of the four of us. So thanks very much to them. So let's get on with uh, the podcast then and start by asking you, Gary, what you thought of the Southampton game. Were you down there yesterday or were you watching it on TV? No, I watched it on TV. Um, in fact, just before the game, I promised my boy uh, before Christmas, uh, he keeps saying he wanted to go up the Eiffel Tower. So I did the next best thing to it. I took him up Blackpool Tower. <laughs> <laughs> so we did Sea Life and we did the Blackpool Tower to get back to watch the game. Um, the game for me, it was very... Unlike City, we started slow. We give them the initiative. We knew they would come out of the traps uh, quickly. Uh, we normally control that. But I think to a player, there, was, there wasn't one, I feel, that played anywhere near his standard. Yeah, they played in second gear. And when, once you lose a goal after six minutes, and uh, I've seen this mentioned by one of the pundits, and he's absolutely right, Phil switched off for a second and you can't do it at Premier League level. We can't do it at any level when you switch off. When the ball was played out, the crossfield pass over to uh, uh, Kyle Peters, uh, uh, whatever his name is, uh, right back. Uh, Phil quite clearly signalled to Cancelo that he would he would look after that, and he switched off for a second because once uh, Walker Peters, sorry, it's, uh, knocked the ball into to the feet of the front man. He carried on his run, and Phil ball watching, let him go, not thinking for a second that he would score a goal like he did, but he did. And then that put us on the back foot. We didn't really get into our stride until half time, And there's no surprise why we got into our stride because I bet Pitt was, uh, Pitt was absolutely fuming with that first half performance because it was very unlike City. Yes, we got back into it. We could have won it. How? I don't know what VAR's there for anymore. I, I, I just lost whatever confidence I had in it, completely gone, because the challenge on um, on, on Laporte was sending off. There's no two ways about it. The marks were there to see after as well. So decisions went against us, but let's look at the positives. The positives are uh, 39 points, we've had 37. Now, because we drew at Southampton and, we've, and we've, we took 37 out of 39 points, that who says we can't do that again for the rest of the games that's going to come up? Everybody's thinking, oh, there's a chink in the armour. There's a chink in the armour. Well, even if Liverpool win their game in hand, they're still six points behind us and they have to come to us. I still believe, as uh, as every City fan would believe, I'd imagine, that it's in our hands and that's all we can ask for. And I'm more than delighted to have uh, 
the Mickey Mouse has come to us in April, whenever they're coming to us, and take them on. Well, um, obviously, there's a few things to talk about there. The, the, the two incidents uh, that you referred to regards VAR with a challenge on Laporte from Armstrong yeah. and also the potential penalty. Now, because I was in this box, I was able to duck inside and watch the replays. And I have to say that I thought it, 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 you have to, as far as I'm concerned, VAR has to be clear and obvious mistake. And that was so near to the line. It was definitely a foul, in my opinion, but it was that near to the line that you couldn't have given a clear-cut penalty. But I certainly think it was a red card. I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. Um, and I also talked to a couple of those people in the box who were not, some of them not regular football fans. You might not be surprised to learn, Gary, because you <laughs> deal with people in corporate areas quite exactly. a lot. You know, and, and, you, and I heard questions sort of like, what's that fellow who stands between the two managers on the touchline? <laughs> what does he do? You know, that was a sort of standard. But one, one of the things that I did hit over here was, now that you can see this game in the flesh, these were people who didn't watch City regularly, aren't they good? You know, they were so much better than Southampton. So despite the fact that it was 1-1, and we as Blues probably see it as a slightly disappointing result, I still saw enough in that game to say City were far superior to Southampton. And on another day, when maybe they'd cut the grass shorter or whatever, City would have won that anyway, wouldn't they, Gary? Well, yeah, and, and another obvious mistake as well, which happened in the Chelsea game against Tottenham today. The challenge that Romelu put in on um, on Jack Grealish, that could have snapped his ankle quite easily. Um, again, that's a straight red for me, as was uh, Doherty, Doherty, the place of Tottenham on Kante today in that game. That was late, got his ankle, and both of them could have easily of uh, broken their ankles. So if you're having VAR, surely VAR is to stop these sorts of challenges. Okay, you could argue the point if you want. Well, it wasn't intentional. Only the player will know whether or not it was intentional. It may have been mistimed. Okay, we understand that. But the laws of the game say that if you make that sort of challenge, then it's a straight red. I don't think Doty got a yellow card for it. Mainly, I would imagine, because he was already on a yellow card. So if he'd have given me another yellow card, he would have been off. But for me, it was a straight red, as was Romelu's on, on Jack Grealish. He could have snapped his ankle quite easily. You know, uh, in our day, that was part and parcel of the game. You, you had to watch the challenge coming in, and depending on who was coming into you, you, you had to read whether or not you went for it or not. But in this day and age, where cameras are everywhere, it is very risky, and both players, in my opinion, were lucky enough to have got red cards yesterday and today. Well, Andy, let's get your views on the game, but also you know, the fact that uh, I've heard people saying that the VAR was manipulating the, the Liverpool game. Now, uh, I haven't seen the late penalty because I was out when that game was on, but it seems that even people who are the other side of the coin, I've seen Liverpool fans saying that it shouldn't have been a penalty. So the theory is... Um, that the Premier League want a tight Premier League title race. Um, I mean, you can talk to me about the Southampton game, but I'd also like to hear your views on that. Didn't see the Liverpool game. Uh, reports from those who did in the house very clearly tell me that it was a shambles, uh, the decision. And um, I would go back to the VAR decisions of yesterday. I fully agree that the De Bruyne one, you couldn't give the penalty. Um, if to be honest, if Laporte's leg uh, had been actually uh, on the ground, he'd have had a serious injury. The fact that his leg was up in the air, and that the fact that they, it looked like it was a brush off, and we later see that he's got a you know an inch gash on his leg, is irrelevant. It's an absolute disgrace of a tackle. He's gone in high with his with his studs or his blades, or whatever he's got on his on his feet showing, and he's injured the player. And he could have been much worse. So I don't know what kind of uh, standard that sets for, for future decisions on VAR. Um, the game itself, uh, yeah, I think Gary summed it up nicely. I felt a little bit as though Southampton, like many teams, see us as the big scout now. I think that's definitely the, you know, it feels like being in uh, the second division again. You know, the, the team everybody want to beat. A uh, long time since we felt like that. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, and of course, they'd had a result against us at the Etihad. So I think that there were some players clearly um, played out of their skin. The manager was very complimentary about their performance. Let's give them credit for that. And I think um, the first half we were 
probably thinking a little bit about those beaches that the players are going to be heading to because it doesn't look like they're going to Abu Dhabi. I think that's been scrubbed because of COVID. The manager so did say, just to stop you there, that um, rather than go to Abu Dhabi, which is one of the original thought processes, that they would go home and spend time with their families and friends. So you well, have the opinion that going home might still mean a beach somewhere. I, I, well, we'll wait and see what Instagram uh, looks like in a few <laughs> days' time. But I think these players have put the shift in and they haven't had a COVID break. One of the few teams that has actually played right through. So it's understandable that maybe that, that was showing in the first half. The interesting thing for me yesterday was Guardiola's interview after the match. Um, I don't normally see them because I'm normally at the game, but this was uh, very clearly uh, an attempt by him to mask his true feelings. He was absolutely fizzing. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I'm quite sure that those players knew that he would have wanted them to go into that break with maximum points rather than uh, what's now, of course, uh, enabled by, let's say, those who can influence decisions, um, that the Premier League is at least alive again. Um, so I think that he's probably quite annoyed and we'll see that in terms of what he does at the Fulham game. Um, and, and I think that that game is not a, a walkover either with the way they're playing. So it'll be interesting to see the response from the players. They've, they've got plenty of character, plenty of ability. And I think there was a bit of switching off. Gary's absolutely right. Um, not to, you know, I think wasn't just Foden. I thought Sterling was 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 on the beach uh, first half yesterday, and, and one or two other players just weren't hitting the passes in the way that they normally do. You subscribe to the uh, the sort of the theory that the, the Premier League are manipulating a, a title race, will or are you um, you know less sceptical? Um, I've never really been one for conspiracies. Um, it's it's tricky though because when you see such clear inconsistencies between decisions that get made. I mean, the tackle that happened on Laporte yesterday, I seem to remember John Stones got sent off for something very similar um, last season. And, and there's always a case of that where a decision goes for you against you. On social media, there's always an instance, yeah, but what about this? And it, it, I just wish the referees once and for all would clarify, you know, the whole VAR situation. Clear, clear and obvious. What is clear and, you know, I don't want to go down the same path we always go down about VAR, but it's. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think it's very poorly managed. Um, VAR is a subject we're bound to come back to. We can talk about it for a minute or two. <laughs> I mean, it's never. The, the thing is, it's never going to go. We're not going to stop it now. They're not going to take it away, are they? No. I, 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 and to be honest, I'm. I'm still a fan of technology, but the technology isn't being utilised properly, and. They're not utilising it when they said they would utilise it. And so it's it, people are losing faith in it and fast, and I can understand why, but I, I just wish they'd, they'd get the head out the backsides and sort something out. I mean, the good thing is, from a City perspective, that normally, clearly the game at Southampton is one of the exceptions, but normally City is so much better than the opposition, or certainly have been in this run, that VAR isn't a factor really, is it? I mean... Are you? Do you think VAR? Do you go into the conspiracy theory to begin with, Gary? I mean, do you think there's a, a sort of a, any truth in what a lot of City fans are saying? Because you see it all over social media. No, I don't think there's uh, any conspiracy. I just think wrong people or weak people are making the decisions in in Stockley Park or wherever it's at. I just think it's the wrong people that's making the decisions. I think it's wrong people who are maybe one referee doesn't want to go against another referee, you know, stick together. Let's hope that's how it works. But that's not, that's not what they're there for. They're there to see something that the referee can't see. That's obviously why a referee has two assistants, two linesmen, because they are supposed to, uh, they're supposed to help him on things he can't see. Because trust me, if I was a referee and I was stood in front of 40, 50, 60, 70,000 on a week match and I missed something, they're all growling down, down my throat, I would want my assistants to be helping me in case I got it wrong. But it doesn't seem to be that way. Some referees have that attitude that don't tell me, 
unless it's an offside, else everything else. That's impossible. And that's not why assistants are there for. They're there to help them. And if they're not taking those help, then the whole business needs to be looked at. But certainly VAR. I thought VAR would have been a great thing. I thought it would have it would have cancelled out all the problems that was it penalty, not a penalty. Now, even when there are penalties or when there are free kicks or when there are fouls, the VAR is not helping. What they're doing is saying, well, you know, I don't want to go against you because you're the referee in the middle. You make your own decision. But we think it might be this, but you make the decision. Whatever you say, we'll go with you. And that's not what VAR is in place to do. But that's why it's been so frustrating for players, for managers, for supporters, for everybody, that the people who are supposed to be helping, if it's not the assistance of the referee, the people who can look at VAR are still not helping them and, and making the wrong decisions. So what I thought VAR was going to be in there for is not working the way I thought. I believe that we're watching the best football we've ever seen at the moment, certainly at, at the Etihad Stadium. We're watching yeah. the perfect sort of team unit. It's it's all about the team. Um, and and it's, I don't think it's ever been better. I mean, you, you, you walk around the ground and you see the statues of Vinny and David Silver and you think as individuals, you know, probably still better than any of the individuals we've got in this team. But this team is such a, is such a perfect unit. Um, so the last thing I want to sound is being negative here. Um, however, having watched them just about get the, the victory away at Arsenal and having drawn at Southampton, is there any part of your, your being, and I suspect not, Gary, from the way you've already answered it, with the, the gap still being, you know, even with the game in hand of Liverpool, would still be six points with City still to play at home. Is there any little bit of you remembering back to what we've done as a club in the past, where we've chased down quite a big lead from the opposition, that, that City could get nervier and that there is still a proper title race on? Well, I think people get nervous when they've not been in that in that position before. I think people, when you've been in that uh, a position for your, uh, before, doesn't give you nervousness, gives you a steely determination. That's the difference, because you know you know what you're going to be giving up. We know we have to, we'll be giving up of the Premiership. When you've not been there before, remember Liverpool won the league once in 35 years. Once, by the way. So, you know, to them, yes, they won it, but then as soon as they won it, they lost it. As you know, we've we've done back to backs. You know, the, maybe Manchester United are the only team uh, to do as well when they could outbid anybody and have the best players and be able to just go on a march. But since it started to level out when Abramovich came in and uh, Sheikh Mansour, and it starts to level itself out that that different teams could start looking at the same players as as, as United were and Chelsea were. So it it's even that you know it it it's even that Premiership out a bit for for not just one team winning it. Uh, but I don't think, no, listen, nerves, he, nerves is good, but we won't have the nerves. We will have the, we'll have that steely determination. And trust me, whether it's a race, whether it's points, whatever you are, I would always want to be in front than chasing. That's a certainty. And give me six points. Would I rather have six points and them chasing me or, or me having to make up the six points? There's no argument for me. I want the six points, let them chase us. And they've got to come to us, which I can't wait for. Andy, where do you stand on that? Well, Southampton away a few years ago provided us with uh, one of our memories that I'll never forget when Gabby stuck that goal in. And that was a season where it was absolutely nip and tuck. And there's nothing more exciting than that, I have to say. Once you've actually won the league uh, or you've won it in the last 30 years or whatever, so I think that season gave gave us every game was, you know, with the timing of the games, it was a different dynamic. And, and and really, I think the idea of, you know, romping home early is, is nice, let's be honest. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to, you know, ex, expand the experience of the squad. Also to focus on the, the missing uh, trophy uh, in, the, in the cabinet. Um, but I, I think that it's in, it's in the interest of, sport and entertainment that, that we're not going to be seen to be running away with it <clears throat> and, and actually on that point just just coming back to VAR I find it incomprehensible that we've got a cup competition the oldest one in the world where the fairness is not equal because you cannot have VAR at every ground so I'd feel very angry if uh, I was a fan uh, of a team that stood a good chance of a cup upset 
and we got, we didn't have the VAR or or we were at a ground where there was VAR. It's just unfair. But they, again, you know, I think that football has to evolve. Other sports have had technology for longer. In rugby union now, the referee doesn't make a decision. He immediately goes to the TMO. In cricket, I think there's a review process. Perhaps that's the answer for football. I think the idea that not everything's not everything's checked. It's up to you know a limited number of opportunities for the captain on the field or a, or a coach on the on the sideline to say I want to review that. And then well, while you're a, on that subject, let just let me introduce inter, interrupt you there because at that Southampton game there was a moment when they went back to check the penalty. Now, that happened probably 90 seconds mm. after the incident, and then there was a gap of about two minutes. And I remember two people saying to me, that lost City all their momentum in that game. Now, whilst VAR and, and getting accurate decisions is something that a lot of people have wanted, there is also the other side of football. Football is all about momentum. It's all about pressure. Now, again, we're in the middle of a season at the moment and, and the Southampton game didn't decide anything. But imagine if that happened in the last match of the, of the season or the, the game against Liverpool, where a team has built up momentum and then it's all destroyed by the, the VAR. Is that not something that is lost sometimes in this debate and, and people don't, don't sort of value the, the momentum argument as much as they should do? Yeah, I think, I think it's a valid point. In the same way that the excitement of a goal is is dampened unless you're absolutely certain that there's no, no way uh, that somebody's sticking in a 40-yard worldie, uh, you know, with nobody standing in front of the goalkeeper, it's a goal. Um, and, and I think as well, the biggest joke of all is having this screen on the side of the pitch. How many decisions have gone the other way? It's clear that if the referee's told to go to that screen, he's made a mistake. I don't know what the percentage of returns are but they must be in the single figures percentage wise or even decimal places so you know there, there does need to be a rethink in my opinion about how it's used it's overused and I think that the fact that somebody's making the decision without any input whatsoever from players on the pitch um, akin the penalty yesterday nobody was crying for a penalty from from our team yesterday and like you say it, it does it does create problems so Time for a little bit of a review. Probably they won't do anything until after we've had the Winter World Cup, from you know, because everything's got to come cascading down from from FIFA on this, I presume. Well, um, going back to the sort of um, you know our form and what's what what we're doing at the moment, I think the the winter break is actually coming at the right time because, like we were saying, we're the only team to have not gone all the way through this without you know a, a disruption or a break. Most of the players played all, all the way through the summer as well. So it's and to be honest, maybe not winning the last game and, and the squad going away for a couple of weeks and having that thinking about it, you know, having that on the backs, it might actually be a good thing. And they might come back with a bit more of a strong mentality. Obviously, I don't know, they might already have that, but I, I'd like to think that it, they booked their ideas up a bit. After that, because Pep, like you say, Pep would have been fuming. He wants 100% perfection every time. And, and the, the, the fans don't expect that. You know, the, we, we always say, you know, we're in amazing form. They're allowed an off day, which is, is true. But Pep, Pep wouldn't accept that. So it, hopefully it would give them a bit of a rollicking and they all come back raring to go, is my, is my hope. It's funny because um, when Southampton were leading that game, which they were for quite a while... Uh, and I've been following Fulham's results. I don't, I don't watch them, but, you know, I've seen that they've been bagging a few goals. And a mate of mine has a bit of a soft spot for Fulham, so I perhaps keep an eye on them. And I was thinking, Fulham could be dangerous, you know, when we play them in the FA Cup. And then because we were behind against Southampton for such a long time, I thought... They're going, to, they're going to be on the other end here of a, of, of a sort of City fight back, so to speak, because they're going to want to win the next game. And that is the next game, isn't it? Pep's the sort of guy that if, if they don't play well in the Premier League game, they're all playing in the FA Cup. It doesn't matter who it's against. All the big, Everyone who underperformed during the week is going to play in the FA Cup. I mean, I, I'm not sure if, if I really think that this year of all years, having a, 
an, in, an well, it's not an international break. It's a winter break is a good idea because we've now got two weeks without any games. And straight after that, it's four games in two weeks. I mean, you know, as a player, Gary, I'm sure you'd have preferred just to have played on, wouldn't you, rather than have this winter break? Well, uh, we never had the option unless you was injured. <laughs> So it, it was something I can't even give an opinion about uh, because you're just used to playing. And, and you know, I did, and I'd imagine a, a lot of my uh, contemporaries would say the same. I loved it Christmas playing, you know, before Christmas Boxing Day in between, you know, like one of the 28th and then you'd have the FA Cup. Yeah, I loved all those games. It was great because it, it gave chance for families to come out as families, to come watch the football because people was on holiday. Um, I, I personally liked it, but the game has changed. So, I mean, when, you know, we were playing, if you went to Bolton or Derby, you was, you was knee-deep in mud, you know what I mean? I mean, the Hawthorns, that was not the, that was not Bowling Green at any point of the season. So, um, I think in this day and age, were, were the trained to have them at peak fitness, and each player is trained individually. Yes, they, tra they train as a team, but I would imagine individual players get for what they need uh, individually to make sure they're the, uh, the prime. And you get rest in this City team because most of the players, you know, are rotated. And I say most, maybe a couple or three are not. Uh, but in general, they get the rest through the season. And I would imagine, listen, it's nice to be able to go away with your family uh, for a week in mid-season. But I think it's your business. So I think you need to stick to your business until May and then go on holiday. And I know it's a bit difficult now for our team because everyone's an international. They're playing in one tournament or another. So I understand that as well. But in maybe old-fashioned way of looking at it, but I wouldn't want to have a break in, uh, in, in mid-season, mainly because we never had one, never looked like having one. F for me, I, I would prefer just keep the season going and take your rest at the end of the season if you could. I'll get some rest at the end of the season. Now we're recording this this podcast, you know, towards the end of you know second half, certainly of January, and uh, the window is open, the transfer window at the moment. It doesn't look as if City are going to do any business, although they've been linked with the Argentinian Alvarez, who's uh, Alvarez has been described as a a young Aguero. I suppose that's what everybody always wants. He's a fairly small in stature player. Uh, watch the video like I'm sure a lot of people have done of him scoring goals with both feet and scoring a header and whatnot um, and it's been said that if City were to sign him he may well go out on loan initially anyway um, there's also been some rumours around Alexander Zinchenko leaving I think we were all caught a little well, I certainly was caught out a little bit by Ferran Torres uh, going to Barcelona um, but do you want to see any activity in this window Gary? Um well, we're not missing a striker, I don't believe. And, and people say, yeah, if a striker would have been there, he'd have notched that one or something. Well, maybe if we had a striker there, we wouldn't play the way we played. So it's it's not been evident that we've missed a striker. You know, I think we've scored. I think our goal difference is still the best in the league. And that's without um, a recognised centre-forward. Uh, we always look as though we're going to score. We've scored sevens and sixes and fives and fours, threes on a regular basis. You know, OK, over the last month or so, we've, we've um, you know, we've... We've got through results by the odd goal, but you know you can't do can't do. It's not fantasy football. You can't go out there, PlayStation, and win seven or six every game because it's it's probably the toughest league in the world, the Premiership. Will we buy anybody? I think the club are looking to bring in a striker, and if we can't get the the striker that we want, I think that looks like a good signing. Is is at an age, uh, Alvarez? You've already said. I think he's been. Uh, South American Football of the Year. He scored. His goal average is, is right up there. But I'm always a bit reticent when you start comparing players to. It's a different. It'll be a different era by the time he starts playing. Aguero is a one-off. You can't compare anybody to him. He was a goal machine. But um, if he was to be half the player Aguero was and the goals he scored, then it would be a great signing. But we are buying players at Manchester City since Pep's been there that are coming in that the potential is still to be had and the value, whatever we pay for them, will be exceeded when we, if and when we have to part with them. So the club have, are doing the right way and are not being bullied into, into buying players, as we've seen with uh, Sanchez, with uh, Fred, with Ronaldo. If we feel it's not right for the club, 
or the, or the players don't look that committed, they want to come to us, then we bypass it. So we dodge a few bullets. If the right players there, I've no doubt we'll go out and get them. Um, and if we don't do any business uh, um, in this January window with the with with Alaves, who may well stay uh, with River Plate until the end of the season, like we did, I think, with uh, Jesus when we signed him, um, I think we'll be looking at the summer definitely because we need, we do need a striker next season. And not necessarily to play all the games as we probably don't have to, but we do need somebody if if we want to play an alternate way as well. And Pep has shown many times we can play in different uh, different formations, we can play different styles, and and sometimes one of those styles would have to be with a stand up centre forward. So I'd imagine that would be priority in the summer. Not so sure about January. I'm a bit of a fan, I can't deny, of Zinchenko. And I'd be very disappointed if he went because he's he's a perfect pet player, isn't he? Is it well he's a midfield player? He's a midfield player turned left back. Okay. He'll have his um he'll have his, his weaknesses because a midfield player is not is not a left back. But what he makes up for, he sees a pass in what Pep wants to play from his goalkeeper. So his left back, if he, if he wants his goalkeeper to be able to pass a ball, he's certainly going to want his left back to pass a ball. Kyle Walker's come on leaps and bounds in, in his passing over the years since he left Tottenham. So Zinchenko, I would be, I would be disappointed because he's a footballer. He's a footballer. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe in our level, it might just be a bit too much for him. But he's proved he can, you know, he can stand his own corner in that team. And I would be disappointed if he was to go, because I think if you don't play every week, he's a great squad player. And, and uh, you're not going to find somebody as easy as that to replace. What do you think, Andy? I mean, Zinchenko, um, is he a player that you would consider to be, you know, dis disposable and somebody else comes in? Or is he somebody you'd want to carry on with? Because he's still young, isn't he? Uh, well, the whole family here, we're all big fans of him. We think he should get more game time. Uh, a player who cost us buttons uh, that we, you know, we scout straight after the Euros when he had a good... Uh, a good side playing for Ukraine, as, as, as you say, in a different position to where he's ended up playing most of his football for City. I, I like Zinchenko. Um, it'd be, be sorry to see him go. Um, and on the on the rest of the transfer activity, there's going to be plenty of mercenaries looking for looking for dollar this uh, this month, and willing clubs looking for for people to fill those berths. So traditionally, January's never really been a good time to sign. Um, the lad from South America, he's lauded in the same way Gabby Jesus was uh, before he joined us four years ago, I think now. So obviously take, we know even with Grealish, it takes time, whatever you did, whatever you did, whichever league, whichever team, you, we all know and accept now that the, the sort of cut and paste uh, player moving into this team that we've got uh, rightfully lauded as one of the world's best teams now in terms of their consistency and performance. It's going to be a challenge, but and hopefully that will attract the best young uh, and experienced talent to want to play for us without seeing it purely and simply as a, as a commercial opportunity. So the biggest signing we can make in January is another few years of Mr Guardiola. Which I'll come back to in a second. But on the Zinchenko question, I'm just wondering, Will, are you sitting there watching Sky Sports as once they start putting that ticker up, thinking, is somebody coming in? Are you desperate for somebody to come in? Are you desperate for City not to release anybody? Are you happy with what City have got? And that, I'm bearing in mind that it's like all systems go for the Champions League this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I want the squad to say exactly as it is. Uh, I agree with the point that Gary made that, as it stands, we do not need a striker. Um, it's very easy to say. I think I, the last time I was on the podcast, I made the point that, you know, you can play as well as you want, go on an amazing winning streak. But as soon as you don't win one game, you don't take your chances, people will be saying, why didn't we buy a striker? And it's very easy to say that. But when you take a step back and look at it, you know, we're nine points clear. Goal difference is incredible. Every, every single member of the, the team is scoring, including the defence. You, you couldn't ask for anything else for a team without a striker. Um, and yeah, I think in terms of the squad that we have now, I think we just need to keep hold of everyone. There's nobody really that I, I, I think doesn't deserve a place in the squad. You know, obviously you've got players like Zinchenko and Ake who are 
who could probably start for pretty much every other Premier League team, I think. Maybe not Chelsea or Liverpool, but Ake and Zinchenko would be starters for pretty much every other Premier League team. And the fact that they're willing to stay with us and be squad members and not get much game time, but be there to be called up and relied on, I think is a testament to what Pep is building. Um, the players obviously trust Pep, they trust his tactics. And, and the fans do as well. And, and like Andy mentioned, with the, um, with the bedding in period, it, the fans completely expect it now. I learned my lesson with um, Cancelo. I, I wrote him off after the first season. I said, what on earth have we bought this fella for? You know, Carl Walker's clearly a better fullback. And I think he's proven a lot of people wrong. He just needed that time to learn, learn Pep's ways. And hopefully Grealish and any other player gets the same time and the same chance. Well, on the subject of Pep Guardiola, I mean, obviously, I was I was a working journalist when Kevin Keegan was uh, in charge, and towards the end of his time, he made it clear he was going to leave at the end of his five-year contract. So, from about eighteen months out, he started getting the questions of, you know, are you going to sign a new contract? And when he said he wasn't going to sign a new contract, then it was sort of, well, how can you carry on managing this team when they know that you're all going? or they all know that you're going. I can start to see, and, and I was watching the press conference on Friday, and it's not the first time it's happened, that journalists are starting to ask Pep that question. They don't directly do it at him because, first of all, he's too clever to answer it directly. Uh, and also, you know, he, he's done it before where he's waited to about this length of time before and then suddenly they've announced a new contract. But I just wonder, you know, if you're... And, and this isn't the first time I've asked this question, but if you're Erling Haaland or you're anybody really, Alvarez even, isn't the first question you ask either directly or to, via agent, so is Pep going to be here now for the full duration of my, my contract? Does it become an issue? Is it an issue? Are journalists right to ask that question? Gary? Well, being a player, you um, you really want to play for the manager. That's a certainty. And that's why a lot of players want to play for Pep. Did with Fergie when he was there. And, yeah, and obviously, they want to play for them because they've got a successful club, successful team, and they want, to, they want to learn under that manager. I think when you're talking about a player, yes, of course, he would want to know whether or not, whether he's Ireland or whoever. Um, he would want to know whether Pep's going to be there when he signs. And how, how long is he looking to stay? He's only staying for a year after the player signs because then he's going to be thinking, what happens then if a new manager comes in and don't like some of the plays that I've... And a perfect example of this, and OK, we'll go back a few years, Steve Daly. Steve got a merciful stick for, from City fans, which was uncalled for because Steve was an excellent player. But he played him in the wrong position, Malcolm. And Steve came on the principle that, uh, uh, that uh, the players that he thought he was going to be playing with, and I was a good friend of Steve's and still are, he thought he was going to be playing alongside me and Barnsley and Asa uh, and Joe Royal and Dave Watson, these players. And when he got to the, the ground and found out that I was on my way to West Brom and then Barnsley was going to West Brom, it shocked him. So players will, will want to know where they're coming and which sort of players and what the club's got in mind. That's all part of it. But you want to play for the manager. Now, if you know the manager's going to be there for a year, two or three years, that's fine. But you also are not so naive to think... If the team don't do as well as expected, the manager gets sacked. So you can't put a clause in to say if the manager gets sacked or he moves, then you want to move as well. You just have to look and say how much time you're going to have with that and whether it's enough time if you're going to make this decision that Haaland's going to have to make the decision. But it will be a question that it will definitely be asked. How, how long is Pep going to be there for? It has to be asked. I mean, it might not be a question that people want to repeatedly be asked and Pep won't want it repeatedly asked. But... It, it needs to be clarified, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I, I just get the feeling with Pep that once he's... I don't think he'll manage another team in England. I think that, that's fairly yeah. obvious. But I, I don't think he's that type. He's not a Roy Hodgson. He's not a, a, a an Alex Ferguson who wants to carry on going as long as he possibly can. I get the feeling there will come a point, even though he's said there's unfinished business yet, but there will come a point with Pep Guardiola where he thinks, well you know what, I've got, I've got a lovely wife and, and uh, you know, I like playing golf and I've done what I want to do now as a manager. You know, I've won title after title after title. I've got another life as well. I do get the feeling he's capable of doing that, isn't he? Um, 
do I think he's capable of doing it? Um, maybe in his subconscious mind he is, but the person he is, he lives and breathes football. You can't, when you live and breathe something, just switch off from it and say, because you will miss it. I mean, he lives, breathes, speaks, everything, just football. He's completely, probably to the detriment of his family. Um, and he must find it very difficult to switch off when he has a couple of days off or a summer off, because even when he's holidaying, his mind's still thinking about football, this, that, and the other. So I don't think if he leaves Manchester City, he will go to another English club. I think that is impossible. I don't think he would do that because he loves the club. If he's going to stay in English football, he'll stay with us. Um, <clears throat> but I think his next part of his journey, if he decides, and which seems is, is, um, is mentioned or suggested, that maybe he will be leaving us at the end of next season, which again raises the question about Haaland, uh, what his question would be, is that maybe he wants to, to take an international side. That's what has been mentioned. And only this week, I think, or this weekend, I've read that the Dutch FA have already said that if Pep Guardiola is deciding that he wants to look after a, um, a national team, then we're going to be first in the line to ask for his services. So that's all already being rumoured. But I think Pep loves the day-to-day, -day, but it takes his toll on him, I've no doubt. It must take a lot of his energy because his enthusiasm is, is second to none. But can you keep that enthusiasm year after year, as well as day after day, week, month after month, year after year? I'm not sure how, how long you can do for before you burn yourself out, but we shall see. I'm hoping, like all City fans, that... He thinks, well, if we win the Champions League this year, I want to defend it. And hopefully that might be. I think if we don't win it again this year, he may think, right, I've got next year and then I am going to call it a draw now, whether we win or lose it. But I think he will, if we win it, might just think, hang on a minute, we can start to conquer Europe as well now. So, I, you know, I want to be part of it. But that's only, that's only what I think and hope. So we'll see. I wonder what the other two thoughts are on, on Pep and the future and how much that's an anxiety. Is it an anxiety for you, Andy, wanting to know where the line's going to come? Or would you rather not know? <laughs> um, no, I think we all have it in our thoughts, uh, really. And I think looking at it purely from a business perspective and from a, an individual perspective, very interesting, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I saw Tony McCoy, undoubtedly the greatest jockey uh, ever, 20 years consecutive champion jockey. Uh, on Soccer AM, and he was just basically saying, retirement, what's that all about? You need a purpose. I've been getting up every morning all these years, keeping me weight down, and I'm, 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 I know nothing else. And, I, and I'm just completely lost doing media and whatever. He was quite depressed, actually. You could see it wasn't for him. Steve Redgrave, if you see me in this boat again, shoot me. And he went on and won another gold medal. And Guardiola's cut from the same cloth. I just don't think that he's got anything other than everything he wants at Manchester City. There's never going to be a club who will give him that. Yeah, there is some unfinished business. We know what that is. It might be that there's more of a legacy that he wants to participate in, in a non-footballing um, opportunity with the club, with a wider City group even. Um, obviously, one's in his home, home area of Girona, but they've got you know, a team in Belgium now, and who knows what uh, gives him a, a purpose in life. But I think the, the time he's been with us, he's been completely dedicated. And I don't see signs of personal stress, despite all of the difficulties that he, like everyone, has had to face in the, in the last two years. So I, I see him as enjoying himself. I see the club uh, very focused on giving him what he needs. Um, and I just don't see it as being broken for any reason other than Pep's just getting a bit long in the tooth and doesn't fancy it anymore. And I don't see any signs of that. So well, I'm just expecting the overtures already started with his last interview that actually it's going to be a quick trip to Abu Dhabi this week. And lo and behold, they'll be announcing an extension to Guardiola's contract in due course. Anything else I'd be surprised at. Hmm. Well, do you buy that? He's, he's off to Abu Dhabi to sign a new contract this week. Bit of inside info from Andy. I sincerely hope so. Sincerely <laughs> hope so. And I, it was mentioned before, I think I'd take a pet renewal over any signing, any any player. 
Um, but the funny thing is, I've, I've been sort of prepared for the loss of Pep for quite a while because we were all warned and everyone, all the experts told us he was only going to stay with us two or three years and then he'd be off to his next project. But clearly he loves it here. Clearly he loves everything he's been given and he appreciates the guys behind the scene. Um, I, funnily enough, the, the, the one manager to come in who would sort of ease my nerves is um and his complete names completely escaped me now the, the Spain manager and he was assistant manager Enrique Luis Enrique yes if if Luis Enrique came after Pep I think the, the transition period would be null he he would pretty much walk straight into the job with Tixie and Ferran. Um the, the methods I, I would imagine would be very very similar. Obviously it's all come through La Masia. So I'd like to think Luis Enrique would be Ferran and Tixi's main candidate for the role if Pep was to go. Right, I'm going to ask uh, both you and Andy now um, to, to become me and to uh, become questioners, interviewers. You've got Gary Owen here, former City player, at your disposal. You, you must have, both of you must have thought I'd love to ask a question, you know, so I'm going to throw it over to you, Andy. The um, answer, by the way, is always yes. <laughs> There's not knowing my vocabulary, unfortunately. <laughs> so the next, so the next time I see you in Barbados, are you picking up the green fees? Always, uh, as long as it's not that green monkey. That green monkey, that's five right up your jacks, if you don't mind me saying. But yeah, I was there actually in uh, in in uh, the, the end of uh, December and January, which I told to, uh, to him because he was wanting me to come on. We had a great time. We couldn't go there last year because of COVID, but we had a great time and. It, it, you know, we're blessed that we're able to go there as, as a family and we and we had a great time. The answer to this, yes, I pick up the green fees, but I'm choosing the course. <laughs> <You're on. laughs> yeah, good. Is that, is that your question, Andy? Is that as well? It's the first one I can think of uh, of asking Gary, to be honest. Unless Will's got a burning one, I'll throw another one in. But... Go on, Will. Um, the rumours are right. Do you wish you'd stayed at City longer? Yeah, of course. Of course you do. But, you know, listen, hindsight's a great thing and players normally outlast the manager and Malcolm, bless him, um, he decided to come back and decided to get rid of everybody. Um, he, he, every, listen, that was his his thought pattern, rightly or wrongly, he decided to do it. The, frustrati the frustrating part for me was is that, um, is that it took me to go from... Manchester to West Brom to get out the England setup, and it took Brian Robson to come from West Brom to Manchester to get in the England setup. So I can see that uh, that was not the best decision I made. But um, equally, <clears throat> Malcolm, when he did get sacked, and he got sacked, I think, well, how long was he cheesy? Did he get about 15 months there or something? Um, but when he got sacked, you know, he called me and asked me if I wanted to go with him. And uh, I said, no. No, thank you. But that was only out of a little bit of um, uh, spite because he let me go from, from City. He did say that he made a, a mistake, whether or not he's just blagging because he wanted him to go with. I think he was going to sport in Lisbon then. Um, and I said, no, I'm staying here. And then th that was the end of it. But um, yes, of course, because City was in my blood. Any City fan who knows me will know it, it. I have blue blood. I don't have red blood. And uh, I think I've shown that not only when I played, but when I've, I've covered City in the media and, and I continue to do now that I work at City on a match day, it is, it is my family, Manchester City. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the players, but I mean the fans is, is my family. And, and it proves it's family because wherever I go, I'm, I'm treated like one of them and, and, and I treat them as, as one of my family because we've all got the same belief in what we want to happen to our club. Just before Andy asks this question, which he's got in reserve, um, I've never played for, for City, but I still consider myself to be part of a family because that's what, what City are. And I've, I've lived my life as a, as a, as a City fan and, and in the media and whatnot. Uh, so please don't take this the wrong way. It's just something that's occurred to me when, you know, when you watch a film and, and, a, and a particular actor becomes famous for that film and they might not be that famous for anything else. And so they live their whole life sort of people asking about about this one film or maybe a couple of films or something like that. I just wonder what it's like when, when you're, you're a footballer and you have a relatively, you know, a, a few years. I mean, it, 
you know, some players play for, for two years, some play for a decade, but it's only ever going to be, if you live 70 years and you play a decade for, for a football club, it's only one seventh of your life. If you play, if you only play two years for a club, it's even less, isn't it? What, what's it like being a footballer and constantly being asked and reminded about this one particular bit of your life when your life is so much more than just those, those years that you play for City? Well, to me, you know, I'm I'm just a football fan that that became a footballer. Uh, so all my dreams that you know, as a kid, that every kid wanted, came true for me. So um, f- for me to speak to anybody, I'm never, uh, I would never ever get sick of somebody asking me something or wanting a picture taken or spending five minutes of time with them because I know if I was in their position, I'd want to do it. I'm just so blessed that it's me that they want to ask. It's quite strange because, as you know, Cheesy, I've got a little boy of uh, six now, and he says to me, Daddy, when walking down the street, he's, he's cutting on a bit now. I said, Daddy, how do they know you? They keep saying, Hello, Gary, who, who are they when walking past? I said, No, it's just something because when I played football, but how do they remember? But now he's getting to an age now because he comes to all the games now, he's mad for it. And uh, he's even, he even calls himself, his name's Jude, he calls himself Jude Boy De Bruyne. I mean, that's what he calls himself at school. I mean, they call him De Bruyne at school. Trust me, you don't play anything like it, by the way. But, but uh, yeah, so it's, it, it is a blessing that I've had to be able to have played a sport that I wanted to do, only thing I've ever wanted to do, and, uh, and played at the highest level for, for, for that length of time and, and represented my country. I mean, it don't get any better. So when people say to me, you know, if you die and you come back, what do you want to come back as? I said, I'll take my chances of me again. I, I'd cause a few more or less mistakes, of course, but that, we'll keep that to another time, I think. But basically, yeah, my life is, has been a, a life that you could only dream of and it continues to be that and, and long may it continue. You must have been in a situation, Gary, where whether it's a child or even an adult who's come up to you and who's visibly nervous, you know, I'm meeting Gary Owen, I'm, meet, I'm meeting one of my my idols. They've seen you on, on YouTube, they've, they're watching The Flesh when you were playing, and now they're meeting you, and, and you can see that they're visually, you know, really tense. And you in your mind, because I know what it's like to a certain extent, are thinking, it's just only me, it's just me, I'm just Gary Owen, you know, you don't have to get like that about me. Has it ever happened to you the other way around, where you've met somebody and you felt like like what you've witnessed them do to you? Of course, because if you can imagine, guys, is that, you know, I leave school at 16 and I go to Manchester City as an apprentice. And up to that year of going to Manchester City, and probably at that time at 16, I had pictures of footballers on my wall that my that my heroes. And then a year later, I'm either playing with them or playing against them. It's surreal. You know what I mean? And when, um, when Dennis Law, who played for United and for us, of course, was first, um, when I got to meet him, I was in awe of him. I was in awe of Dennis Law. Just like when I went to, um, uh, to Manchester City and walked in as a schoolboy and saw like Francis Lee and Colin Bell and, and Summerby. But Summerby, you know, he's, he's still a boy in men's clothing, trust me. So he, he made you very welcome. He made you, made you very welcome when you went down. 14-year-old was able to, to get down to a level of 14-year-old to make me feel welcome. And he was a star. He was the Bell Lee Summerby era. I know we had a great team, but those three stand out. And when you talk about City in that era, it's Bell Lee Summerby. So it's, um, for me, it's a blessing what I've, I've been able to do. And I, I hope, and I don't think I've ever made anybody feel uncomfortable in my, in my, um, in my company. I know there's been a few people that's not felt very comfortable after a night out with me. That's a certainty. And not wanting to see me cry quite regular again until they recover but apart from that I think uh, I think I'm an all right guy. Go on Andy you got a question? Yeah I, I mean Gary you know you're exposed all all your life since uh, since a young man to, to Manchester City now obviously many many years of, of hosting in the corporate sections as yeah. well away we see away games abroad yeah. and everything. You know, do you think the City fan has changed? Do you think there's have you noticed anything really different over the last uh, 10, 20 years? Yeah, of course. Well, we brought the um we brought the supporter that wants to support the winning team. It happened, you know, it's happened uh, for everybody. Whoever's been successful, they collect on the way, 
um, supporters that that are really not not the hard grown up supporting City, uh, you know, in League in League Two. Well, in the second divisions it was then, so League One and then the Championship and uh, and all the years that went on. I mean. I've done radio covering um, City when we've been at York and got beat and at Stockport and got beat. You've been there, Wickham and got beat on a Wednesday night. Or, I mean, to see where we are now, it's just nobody can believe it. But we are all we're, we are always going to collect the the uh, the stigma of oh, I support Man City, you know, because because they're winning, and those supporters will lose will, will leave not just at our club but at other clubs. When they're not as successful, they move on to the next one. But I do see now, Andy, and you do as well. When I take my boy to school or I'm going around Manchester now, I see a lot of blue shirts now. I even went to church in church this morning at 10 o'clock. I know you might find that hard to believe, but I do go to church. And not and not just to ask for forgiveness, by the way. <laughs> That's well nothing, gone. Nothing, nothing sweeter to know your, your, your red pal has got a kid who wants to wear a blue shirt. Oh, well, just so let I me never thought it was possible, but... I'll just tell you one story here, which is, which is true. Um, Road Green Park, which is in Worsley, and my boy could only have been about three then, and and I'm pushing him in this in this um, swing, and this guy comes along with his little boy, probably about the same age, in a United shirt. So as he is pushing his boy, my my boy Jude puts his hands up to say, "Stop, stop, stop, stop!" So I pull him and say, "What's wrong?" And he just nodded his head to the side, to the left, went. I went what? Dirty red, because yeah. <laughs> And the dad looks at me as if to say, you're not going to save something. I said, listen, mate, this boy makes his own decisions. <laughs> and the boy picked him up after the um, swing and walked off. And I thought, what must he have thought? But I said, listen, he makes his own decisions. He's three, dirty red. Yeah, OK, it's his, it's his opinion. <laughs> but anyway, he's growing up the right way. He won't wear anything red. He will not have anything to do. He just cannot even stand United. So I think he's being brought up the right way. Yeah, well, I can certainly remember when my lads were young that they got an awful lot of stick for being blues when they were younger. So what goes around comes around, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, as we were just saying, sorry, I was in church this morning, a little boy who's in the children's section of the, on, on the left-hand side, I didn't know it from Adam, and he had the mask on as well. And I could see him staring at me from the side when I looked round. He just undid his coat like that with his city shirt on. <laughs> I thought, yes, there is a Lord. He's showing it this morning. <laughs> so the last question of this particular podcast and thanks very much to the, to the three of you thanks very much to channelslouis.co.uk for being the, the sponsors and the supporters of it is what you're going to do now for two weeks I mean presumably you're going to watch some rugby Andy because I know you uh, that, that's your other big passion or place yeah. in golf maybe is that what you're going both, to do during both, the next two, next two weeks exactly, exactly that the weather the weather forecast is pleasant uh, you know so I'll be out on the links um, and as well, uh, yeah, choice of different rugby uh, next weekend. Um, my hometown in Wales are, uh, are hosting a, an event for past players, um, which I'm, I'm tempted to go to. But also uh, my nephew plays national rugby for local team here on the Wirral. Um, and they're, they're right, riding high second uh, up in up there. So uh, there's, there's a potential to go and watch them away from home. So... Yeah, the rugby will slot in next weekend. Um, I'll manage uh, just about. Uh, I'm busy planning all my um, away trips with Wales because, um, you know, we've, we have got the, uh, the qualifiers, um, hopefully two games in Cardiff, as well as the Nations League. Great that we're going to go to Holland and uh, Belgium and Poland. And the venues have just been announced, so everybody's scrambling for, for the... Um, for the, for the flights and so on, and we're all trying to get tickets when they get released. Should be okay, though. So, yeah, something else to do, sport-related, but not City. And apart from putting up the podcast and doing some editing for me, Will, what, what are you up to over the next couple of weeks? Um, nothing exciting, really. Uh, I, I, applying for jobs, actually. That's, that's my next couple of weeks. I need to get out of my uh, particular department store. Oh, well, the best of luck, Will, um, and a big shout out for what you do, you know, to help out on the Forever Blue team. Gary, um, golfing then, is it? Well, yeah, I'm a fair weather golfer, but I am going to get my sticks out on Wednesday. I'm going to play my son-in-law on Wednesday, 
but I'm not looking forward to it. I'm definitely a fair weather golfer. I want to, I want the sun on my back. I don't want me walking in, in ankle mud or frost or something. But yeah, I'm going to play on Wednesday. But listen, I've waited all my life for this boy, so I'm going to spend as much time with him as I can. Uh, we'll, uh, and there's no game at the weekend, as his mum will be grafting and in all the money for us. We'll, uh, we'll find somewhere to go. Yeah, we don't know where, but it'll be somewhere exciting and we'll enjoy it. So. We'll, we'll get that weekend out of the way and then look forward to following the Cup. Well, it's been great having the three of you on the podcast. Thanks very much. I uh, hope you have a, a great couple of weeks before the football comes back with the Fulham in the FA Cup. And then, of course, they come thick and fast. Brentford, followed by Norwich, followed by a trip to Lisbon. So suddenly, after two weeks of nothing, it'll be one after the other again. And we'll have to... Uh, be doing games and travelling all over the place one after the other uh, but um, have a good couple of weeks we'll be back with another podcast next week um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about sort of things off the field that, that are big topics for, for City fans as well as the football I'm not saying we won't mention the football but those will be the subjects that we'll perhaps put a little bit more focus on so thanks very much for listening, for subscribing, for downloading uh, thanks very much to, to Gary Owen, to Andy and to Will for their support in this particular podcast. And even after a draw, even after not taking all three points at Southampton, remember one thing, if you remember nothing else, it's great to be a blue. <laughs>